0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is someone I really admire who's written a book I wanted you, our listeners, to connect with. Um, as we started 2024, I've generally tried to do LGBTQ-focused podcasts, but um, I give I will do some exceptions at times when I come across content I really want to make sure you, our listeners, are aware of. and. Um, Kirk Frankum is who is on the podcast joining me from via Zoom. Welcome to the podcast, Kurt.
1: Hey, Richard. Uh, thanks for having me back on. I always appreciate our time together.
0: Um, let me introduce you to Kirk Francom, If you're not familiar with Kurt, Kurt um, Francom, F R A N C O M, is the founder and executive director of Leading Saints, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. He is also the host of the premier Latter-day Saint podcast, Leading Saints, reaching 500,000 downloads per month with a lifetime reach of 20 million downloads. Kurt graduated from the University of Utah in 2008 with a degree in marketing business. He ran a web development company for five years before focusing on Leading Saints full-time in 2016. Kurt currently lives in American Fort, Utah with his lovely wife. Alana, Elena, they're blessed to have three, Elena, yep. <laughs> they're blessed to have three children and a dog. And the book that Kurt has written is called Is God Disappointed Me? Question mark. Removing Shame from a Gospel of Grace. And as I've skimmed this book, listeners, um shame is has no place in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm grateful that Kurt, who probably believes the same, has put that concept Absolutely. to words. He's done hundreds of interviews, maybe thousands of interviews, podcasts, and he will talk about his book. But some of these um, titles just kind of jumped out to me. There's like 10 old titles, but The Raging Love of God is chapter eight. Um, Vulnerable Wounds is chapter six. Um, Godly Disappointment is chapter two. And so um, we will put in the show notes a link to this book on Amazon. Um, Depending on when we release this podcast, I believe that'll be a pre-order link, because I think the official release date is towards the end of February, and this podcast will come out in early February. Um, But I'm going to turn over to Kurt in a second, but I just am so grateful for the work Kurt is doing in our community. Um, I was on his platform many years ago talking about LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and um, you did a whole seminar and a series of that, and I still get messages of local leaders that When they first want to connect with this space, it's often the work of Leading Saints and your work to talk about supporting LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and they find content there. And I've had people reach out to me because of your content, and you've bravely taken on many subjects that need to be addressed in our community. So that's my three-minute introduction, listeners. I try (laughs) to keep it under four. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kurt. (laughs)
1: <laughs> thanks richard that's that's awesome you're so kind and yeah you know that 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 content we did it was called lgbt saints and i just wanted to create a library of, of content to help latter day saint leaders to at least have a perspective as they uh, you know march into these callings and efforts to connect with individuals and, and you gave such a great perspective there. And uh, because as you know, as as a bishop, you know, you just have a list of appointments and you don't know, you know, the person may be walking in, but you don't know the question they have or concern or life experience they're bringing. So it's always good to have perspective. And and that's really, you know, a lot of people will ask, uh, you know, or a little bit, maybe surprised by a book like this, is God disappointed in me? And, here I am, you know, I'm sort of known as the leadership guy. You know, I've interviewed hundreds of of leaders across the world. And so they think, Kurt, why why not a book about leadership? And my response to that is there's nothing more important to understand than shame when it comes to leadership. Uh, Because the way I see it is shame is an attack on identity. And at the core of our doctrine. At the core of our uh, theology is this concept of identity, that even the, even the phrase, I am a child of God, can be so unique amongst other Christian um, uh, faiths that, that we first start by teaching this, that we are children of God, and he has endowed us with an identity. And you think from the other end of the spectrum, the, the beautiful doctrines of the temple and what, what happened in the temple, that you are endowed from on high by, with an identity. And even every ordinance has to deal with identity. And so, when I see and try and understand this concept of shame, the way I frame it is it is an, an attack on identity. And if we don't, uh, if we don't sit with that and truly try and understand it, you know, just speaking from a leadership standpoint, it's going to be very difficult to help individuals if we don't understand the the tool of shame that the adversary uses. And I would go so far to say that shame is the strongest tool. The adversary has and that's why he relies on it so much um it's such a strong tool that to, you know Richard uh, confession time here i i find myself as a parent from time to time <laughs> relying on shame because wow you know it sure gets those kids moving and gets us out the door and gets us to church on time when maybe i can throw a little shame out there <laughs> you know it, it gets people it is motivating but uh, like you said there there just isn't a place for shame in uh in any context in the gospel. And uh, what led to me writing this book is I saw individuals um, sort of just bogged down with shame, even in the context of the church. And I think, ah, like, no, this is, this should be an encouraging faith. This should be a redemptive faith. And I don't know if you've heard this term sort of around online or in other context, but some people will frame our religion as a, a high demand religion, yeah. right? And Man, that breaks my heart. Now I can see, like on paper, how they could maybe come to that conclusion. There's, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, a lot of demands at times. It feels like that we we got to do right: Uh, missionary work, temple work, family history work. Come follow me, you know, temple attendance. Uh, I mean, mean, it goes on and on. Of you can begin to feel like all this pressure of not doing enough, or man, I'm not keeping up. And it seems like, you know, the the Joneses across the pew, they, they seem to have it all figured out. And they're always here on time. And they're, you know, their children seem to be perfect. And they never struggle in high school or they never, you know, whatever it is. And we start comparing ourselves and thinking, maybe there's something wrong with me, or maybe there's something wrong with my family. And there's the attack on my identity. There's the shame that the adversary so, so slyly inserts into our our faith experience and it begins to corrupt how we frame everything in our faith experience and seeing individuals, loved ones, family, friends that, that leave the church, um, that that step away and and reject it completely because of this overwhelm they feel. Now, when I hear their story and a lot of these stories, Richard, I've heard on, on your platform, they're heartbreaking. And, you know, sometimes I can't blame them for taking those steps because they. uh, they're in such this the space of overwhelm and and pressure and and sometimes it leads to anxiety and depression and some other things that, oof, like yeah maybe there you need to call a timeout a minute and, and uh, regroup and and figure that out because that shame becomes we begin to drown in it, and so um, that was sort of my hope and I wanted to explore that this concept of shame as, as it is in the context of our of our faith tradition and the things we do and hopefully find where that. Grace is and what the role of grace is. And, and do we have a God that's up up in heaven that's just disappointing us all the time? Or do we have a God that's encouraging us, wanting to give us hope? And instead of being a, a high demand religion, I want us to be known as a highly redemptive religion, that we find nothing but encouragement, that when we walk out of church, we're more buoyed up than we are discouraged by oh, I'm just not doing enough. But there's a deeper message, a stronger message, if we can tap into that. So I, I don't know if any thoughts or questions come to mind at, at this point. I, I don't want to go on too long.
0: Just that I'm with you. It's interesting, listeners. I haven't talked to um, Kurt for a couple of years, and it's like we both have been on our journeys to come to many of the same conclusions. And so maybe you as listeners have come to the same conclusion. But um, you said some things that I wrote down that shame is an attack on identity, and I love that. And I totally agree that shame is the strongest tool of the adversary. I never would have thought that um, 10 years ago, but now I really believe that. And that I love your shift from a high demand religion to a high redemptive religion, which I think yeah. is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm with you. Keep sharing, Kurt.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, you know, the, uh, the, there's just so much. Our theology is so beautiful. Um, And I get that you know, there's there's times and moments to to struggle with different theology or word said or whatever it be. But I mean, this this beautiful journey that we're being invited to a covenant relationship. You know, often gets framed as the covenant path, but this is a a a relationship with God. And um, sometimes, like I'll give you one example. Sometimes how we uh, we we sort of miss the message with the best intentions. You think of the term. Uh, righteousness, or sometimes it's uh, framed, you know, in modern day speak as far as worthiness, right? And we have a temple recommend and being worthy. And, and that can be, uh, you know, that's where the adversary can step in and contort that message to be an attack on our identity, that if I'm not worthy, uh, there's something wrong with me. I'm broken. uh, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm beyond love, but uh, that that righteousness is more about relationship than it is about behavior. And what I mean by that is, uh, there's a phenomenal uh, Hebrew translation of the word righteousness, you know, in, in scriptural terms. And right, the 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 word righteousness is all over the scriptures, but this uh, this Hebrew translation defines righteousness as right relationship. And a fun activity to do, and, and, and if you're maybe experiencing a tough day or being engaged in the gospel, I encourage you to go to the scriptures and whether the topical guide and look at this term righteousness. And every time you find a scripture with the term righteousness in it, replace it with right relationship. And this is such a more encouraging way to see the gospel that God wants us to be righteous, but really what he wants is to be in right relationship with him, engaged in a relationship with him that... Uh, that we're willing to keep going, keep trying. He knows that we're going to mess up. He knows that we need repentance, and that's why he's given us, but he wants us to remain in right relationship more than he wants us to be perfect. He'll handle the perfect part, and that's why he sent his son, and that we can be perfect through him. But to just keep going and keep maintaining that right relationship, and uh, that that brings so much hope and, and encouragement in my life as I mess up or I'm struggling with things is uh I want to just maintain that right relationship.
0: Love that. Keep sharing.
1: Uh yeah, so uh the the um another concept that explores just this concept of of love and and here's the thing to consider if if people are intrigued and want to explore the book, uh you're going to find things in the book that that you disagree with and that I'm okay with that. You're going to find things that you maybe you really agree with. But what i the the point of the book isn't necessarily for you to be to, to for me to convince you to think like me. The point of the book is I want to invite people into this um into this um th- into this thought process of digesting these concepts and saying, well, I don't necessarily agree with Kurt here, but I can see it maybe a little differently because I've engaged with this this uh content and so this concept of love and obviously this it's in the title of your your, uh, podcast. I mean, you're, you're a big fan of love, Richard. I, I, I know that. So, and and it's a powerful force and, but oftentimes we sit with love and we think, well, I mean, so if God just loves me or if I'm just supposed to love my, my friends and family, like what's the point with all these commandments and covenants and, you know, sometimes they can, they feel like there there's not a lot of love there when you just want me to, you know, do certain things and behave in certain ways. And so, in the book, I put it on what I call the gospel continuum. And on one side of the continuum, you, you have love, grace, acceptance. Um, uh, what else? I mean, all, all the synonyms with, with that. And then on the other side, you have covenants, work, uh, commandments. And sometimes we get stuck on one end or the other of these these uh, on this continuum, where so often. Um, We get caught up in all the behaviors, right? And I remember as a young teenager and as a young missionary, you sort of get uh, indoctrinated with, uh, with more and more things that you need to do, and you sort of lose yourself in it sometimes. And you begin to... And not that this was the intention of anybody, but you begin to define yourself by how well you do things in the gospel, how well you are, uh, you know, uh, preaching the gospel as a missionary, or how well you minister, or how well you attend church, and how regularly, how how you attend the temple, right? And we begin to define ourselves. But we, we can be stuck in this behavior side of the continuum. And what's important is that you, uh, that that uh, the gospel experience should be going back and forth on this continuum. Because some days, I don't know about you, Richard, but some days I just need a really good conference talk or a really good video online that envelops me in love, lets me know that I'm God's child and he loves me. And and sometimes I need that healing. Other days I may need like a really point-by-point doctrinal talk that helps me understand the commandments more deeply so that maybe I can adjust behaviors in a way that will um, help me become more and become more like God. Now, what the, the problem, like I said, is we get stuck in on one of these sides. Sometimes we get stuck on the behavior side, defining ourselves by the ha- behaviors and God is, Will will maybe find moments to disrupt our life to bring us back to his love, to recharge, to heal, to regroup so that then we can return to his covenants, not in this cadence of, well, I've got to earn more acceptance and love, but because I am so overwhelmed with the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. That when God comes to me and says, Kurt, I accept you today exactly as you are, even if you never change the rest of your life, I love you completely right now. And when I feel that. I can't help but look at my my eternal father or look at my savior and say, wow, like, how do I become like you? How can I be that type of person that loves like you? And then that's when he comes to me. He's like, oh, Kurt, I have the perfect plan for you. And it involves commandments and it involves covenants. And now we enter into this as in, in right relationship, we enter into these commandments and covenants with the intention of becoming something, with learning some things. And sometimes those those days get hard where I keep messing up with the commandments. And so he says, well, come back over to my love and just sit with me. You are not, you don't need to read the scriptures with all the Hebrew translations and, and, and strive to, to, to memorize all these scriptures. It's not about doing anything today. Today, I'm just gonna love you. And I'm just gonna be present with you. And I'm just gonna encourage you. And then when you're ready to return to those commandments and covenants, We'll do that. Now you see this in sort of in microcosms and macrocosms in in the church. There's, you know, I remember as, as a bishop sitting down with individuals who were really struggling with, with doubt, with, uh, they just, it just, uh, they couldn't figure out the church thing and, and they, they felt so much shame and guilt because they were questioning. And some of those people did step away from the church, but we get sometimes get so stuck on the, on the. Commandments and behavior side of the spectrum that we just sort of need a break. And I see individuals who do take a break from the church. Now, of course, I would love for everybody to feel comfortable uh, coming every week, sitting in the pews with us, and engaging in the church and all of our traditions and and covenants and and ordinances. But I also understand when individuals need to just take a breath, step away. And I've seen many of those individuals return to the church in different ways, as different people almost ready to re-engage in, in, in the covenants and commandments that are there because maybe they have a new fresher uh, perspective of why we have commandments and covenants. And that, uh, that keeps them, that keeps them going. And so um, wherever you are, those that are listening to this, like, I know that there are those moments where you think this is too much. I feel too much shame when I go to church, I feel too much shame. When I engage with my family members, who just seem overly rigid, right? And maybe they're they're super stuck, like on the continuum. Like Kurt, you—they found new depths of the 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 uh, commandment continuum. There, the gospel continuum, um, and and so to just know that, like, hey, stick with the gospel continuum, and maybe you just need a season of just refresh and filling his love. And when the time is right, you're going to have the strength to step in relationship with God and engage his commandments once again so that you can find a deeper understanding of the identity that he endowed with you long ago. And this is a more hopeful and encouraging way to engage the gospel, swinging back and forth on this continuum, depending on where you are and what you're facing in your life so that you can stay engaged or stay in right relationship with God.
0: I love that. I love the continuum and I love your balance between, you know, the continuum. You're really thoughtful and give space for people on the continuum. But I think the balance you're talking about is really important. When I think of shame listeners, I think of sort of sin-related shame where yeah. you know, there's a commandment broken and broken. Um, and then I think of the shame that comes that it isn't sin related, but it's kind of the high performance religion not doing enough. Um, I don't know, you know, and so I think those are, shame can come from lots of different sources, but I love your line, um, God talking to you, Kurt, I love you completely now. And I believe that, listeners, I believe worth or love is not earned from Heavenly Father, it's just there. Worthiness can go, the temple can come and go, but worth is set, love from our Heavenly Parents is set. And that's not earned. And not every leader has said it that way. Some leaders have said that, and some haven't. Yeah. And I'm aware that there's some differences there, but um, that's kind of what I believe. And I think it helps take shame out and also helps us move forward from a position of strength that we're not moving from a position of shame and weakness and brokenness in our journey as Latter Saints, but we're moving from the place that Kurt talked about is, I love you completely now, Kurt. And yeah. I just think we do better. Um, when we all, when we believe that within ourselves and come help others believe the same thing, I don't think it takes commandment keeping off the table or covenant keeping, but I think it just helps us move forward from position of strength. Yeah. So you,
1: you know the keep, uh, I'll uh, go off of what you just said. There is that on the the church's website, churchofjesuschrist.org, dot org. It defines grace as the enabling power of the Atona, Jesus Christ. I've heard that a lot. Elder Bednar says that quite a bit. And I've often sat with that and thought, I don't really get that. Like, what do you mean the enabling power of Jesus Christ? But here's the, and this is really a paradox because I'll say this to some parents and they think, Kurt, like you do understand, like if we offer too much acceptance then I mean, the, our child will get the impression that we just don't care what they do in life, and that they'll just run off and uh, end up in federal prison and, and in drugs, and you know all the you know that's sort of the, the what our brain does to to us that we we assume the worst case, right? Like well, almost sort of passively aggressively giving them permission that they can sin. And I don't want to do that. And and I said, no. Here's the paradox of it, and and this is the enabling power of grace. Is that when we feel grace, just like I said earlier, when we feel grace. And this complete love and acceptance from God, I can't help but turn to him and say, how do I become like you? What do you want me to do next? I want to be with you forever. What's the plan? It orients us. It enables us towards commandments and covenants out of the context of being shamed or doing it because you're supposed to do it. But that's the power of it. It enables us. To turn to uh, things that will keep us in relationship with God, and uh, that—that's a relationship that's that's really encouraging.
0: Love that. Keep sharing. I don't know if there's specific chapters you'd like to highlight, or yeah. Well, I guess um, we can. What you uh, hope the book accomplishes, you've kind of talked about that, but it's just your time to keep talking. (laughs) Thanks.
1: You know, this—the title is uh, obviously—we're both marketing guys, Richard, and so Mm -hmm. we love a good provocative title, right? And. Uh, You know, is God disappointed in me? I want people to be, you know, glancing through books at the bookstore, perusing the bookshelf and seeing this and almost hearing themselves say it. Is God disappointed in me? Like, to me, that is a worthwhile question because if we have an eternal God that's disappointed in me, that is a very tough place to move forward. I mean, we've all experienced, uh, you know, uh, mortal parents that have been disappointed in us. And there's something about, you know, when somebody cuts, or I cut somebody off on the road, and they're mad at me, and they honk at me, and they're, I can tell they're upset with me. I'm able to just go on with my day, and it's fine. But when a loved one is disappointing me, it, it, it is, it just hits it, the little, more, it sits a little more heavy in, in my heart because I love them, and I don't want them to reject me. And and from the time we're born, we 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 know we're accepted, but then. The adversary, you know, convinces us that, well, your mom and dad are kind of disappointed in you. And, oh, by the way, your eternal parents are also disappointed in you. And so good luck. Right. That that is such a shame message that nobody can really uh, find hope in. And so um, a lot of people, a lot of people hear that and they'll say, well, I don't know, Kurt, like, I mean, God does have uh, pretty high expectations for us. And there's sort of a game plan and we got to stick to the game plan or else he's going to be really disappointed in us. and so. Uh, on this theme of being even more provocative, I put out the the assumption that I believe that God is never offering us any expectations. He has zero expectations in us. Now, people hear that, and even especially parents, like, "No way, Kurt!" But hear me out here. If we believe what we what, the problem is we sometimes project our mortal experience, our mortal thought process onto God, and we think, "Well, my son comes home late." I'm marching in, in back and forth in the living room, very disappointed that he's breaking curfew. And I'm assuming there's a heavenly family room somewhere that God's marching back and forth because I keep messing up and I'm not living up to the standards. However, obviously God is an exalted being. He he processes things differently. Now, I don't know, and maybe I will get to the other side of the Velvet Journal and say, hey, God will say to me, hey, Kurt, cute book that you wrote about godly disappointment. But just so you know, I was disappointed in you most of the time. But, but what I'm offering here is, even if he did say that this has given me a place, a hopeful place to continue going in the gospel. But this is a being who some say is all knowing, like he knows everything, every mistake that you're going to make. And uh, so if he does, if he knows, if he's all knowing, there's no way he can hold an expectation because there's no need for an expectation. He just knows that you'll get, you're going to make it now. This is a debate, a theological debate. Some people will say, I don't know if God's all knowing or if he really knows, you know, what we're going to do. Well, that's fine. But imagine if God the Father walked into your fast and testimony meeting one week and he began to approach the, the lectern to share his testimony of the atonement of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't say, well, I hope or I'm kind of crossing my fingers in the eternities. I just really hope that my, my beloved son's sac- sacrifice works out. And like, no, 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 no. Like, he knows. Like, it's done. That And and there's, you know, uh, Elder Holland talks about this, that the the scoreboard of the eternities is set. The game is over. The atonement is done and it's available for you. We just have to grab it. And he would have such a certainty of the atonement of Jesus Christ that he knows it works for us. So God doesn't have expectations in us. He has expectancy that this plan works for us. Just like we don't stress over whether the sun is going to come up tomorrow, we don't worry that oh well that'll really you know uh, really put a damper on my weekend as the 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 world ends. And uh, no, we we know that the sun's going to rise tomorrow. That's the same as God. He knows that the atonement of Jesus Christ works for us, and He'll continue to offer it as many times as you need it. And I get that there's individuals out there who can't quite find their place in this structure they've been given in the church. And they feel like I keep messing up or I'm just having a hard time fitting into the mold, but you know, he'll, he'll he'll do this with you as many times as it takes. And even the, you know, looking at the, the sacrament, metaphorically speaking, like every week, Richard, like I just sit in the pew. I don't have to request it. I don't have to, you know, uh, Uh, pass a test. That deacon who represents Jesus Christ walks over to my pew and reaches out and says, here it is. Here's my grace. Take it. I I don't have to stand up. I don't have to walk to the front every week. And there's never, in my opinion, grace and disappointment cannot coexist. God cannot offer grace and then wince when we actually reach out and grab the bread and water. Like, oh, really? Like, I mean, sure, I brought it to you, but I can't believe after seven days, you have to take the sacrament once again, right. It is offered and, and as uh, the the term pro offered again and again uh, offered with almost aggression like here it is, I'm putting it right in front of you like this is the relationship that God has for us, and sometimes it's years of of just messing up or or wandering or trying to figure this out or stepping away from church or um you know it's, uh, it's taking a break from family. Knowing that God will, when, whenever you are ready, whenever you need that love, he's right there willing to offer it and giving you strength so that you can then engage in his commandments and covenants. Because Not because he expects that of you, but because he knows those things will help you become like him. So I, I just want people to know that like, the, the short of it is, and my brother-in-law jokes with me when he read the title, like, is God disappointing me? He's like, oh, Kurt, do I just open up the book and it just says yes, and that's it? Like, <laughs> no, God, I promise you, no matter what your path, no matter how go- far gone you feel or how messed up your path is, or I mean, whatever, whatever interpretations you have of your path, like not once ever has God been disappointed in you. And that is an enabling power of grace. And I just, I just hope it reaches your heart. And and this is a a book that isn't the final answer on it. These are just how I've articulated these concepts. And I hope if there's somebody out there who's really struggling to find hope and encouragement and avoid overwhelm and and get out of that that dark cloud of overwhelm that sometimes uh, you you may feel in in this faith tradition, I hope that maybe this is a book you can turn to and say, "All right, Kurt, I'm listening. Give me your best perspective of." why someone should stay engaged in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what I hope to do. It wasn't perfect, but this is my attempt. And I've grown a lot from, from going down this journey as well.
0: This is just a labor of love, Kurt. And, um, you're really qualified. You don't like to say this kind of stuff to yourself, but um, <laughs> you've just had so many experiences in your personal ministry and um, with all the guests and the work you've done in our community. Um, to then write this kind of book from a position of just a lot of learning and a lot of reflecting and looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I just, I love this, listeners. I wrote a few things down as Kurt was talking as, you know, I just love this line. I love you completely now. I love your idea that our heavenly parents may have a longer view of us and who we are. We know we're literally spirit children of heavenly parents. So sometimes we take our earthly parent, modeling and project that on heavenly father and that may or may not be true and i love the way um you frame that and we are we as parents are kind of in the middle of a three act play but they know the whole um three act play and kind of each of us individually and how we're processing mortality that doesn't take keep commandment keeping off the table both kurt's pretty clear on that and i but it i just think it helps people come from a position of strength um uh, you know, we brought up the sacrament. I wrote down something I've said before. To me, the sacrament, listeners, is not a penalty for the past and a chance to beat yourself up. It's more about the future. Yeah, yeah. you can reflect on mess-ups, whatever that is, sins of omission or commission, um, but it's more, I think it would should be framed as more hopeful and more about just wanting to do better versus a beat-yourself-up session. And if you've messed up, I think, you know, Satan and shame would say, you're back to square one. All the work mm-hmm. you've done to overcome this is for naught. Um, you messed up again this week, so you're back at square one. Um, my atonement, you know, you're continuing to burden me because um, you're having to continue to reach for the atonement to help you be clean. But he's already paid the price. He enjoys yeah. forgiving us. So, um, I think the gospel at sacrament time would say, look forward and say, you're one step closer to solving whatever you're going to solve versus back at square one, even if you messed up.
1: Um,
0: And and maybe you touch on this in the book, but I love the Brene Brown quote where shame says, I am bad versus I did something bad. And that's been helpful for me when you talk about attack on identity. Shame is Mm -hmm. an attack on identity and says your core is bad why it's not as kurt is talking about because you're children of heavenly parents and shame and guilt for me were very similar words 10 years ago and at least for me they're different um guilt is a little more positive it recognizes mistake um but it's more forward looking um because you understand the atonement of Jesus Christ you understand the kurt things kurt's talking about love and heavenly parents with you and it's more pro- pragmatic and positive looking, and um, shame is just a whirlpool of lie, self-loathing, and looking backwards and feeling your future's forever changed. So, when you say the greatest tool of the adversary is shame, I would have said it was sin ten years ago. Now I realize that's not. I realize mortality, just one of the realities of mortality, is we all sin. Now I'm not inviting people to sin. or are not right. either. But it's sort <laughs> of what do we do? Um, And if we're a priesthood leader, what would we do to help others? And my wife used to say, what do you think you're doing in the YSA bishop office during these interviews? And towards the end of my assignment, I says, I think I'm taking shame out of the YSAs because of um, helping them understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So your book is so needed Um, in our community right now. And I want to just want to send it back to you, but you know, this is probably not a focus of your book or even the podcast, but I talk about LGBTQ mm-hmm. quite a bit, and you are comfortable in that space. You've talked about it too, but, um, you know, if you're straight, you're not going to feel shame around your sexual orientation, or if you're cisgender, you usually don't feel shame about that because society is saying kind things about you and you fit into a heteronormative society. But if you're, you know, if you're not straight, if you're queer. Um, or not cisgender, you could feel shame for the feelings that are part of your sexual orientation or gender identity, and the church is clear that you shouldn't feel shame. You know, you know, orientation is not a sin. Um, but some of my most brave guests have kind of worked through that and and realized that their identity is a God-given identity, and there's nothing to have feel shame about and look in the mirror. No one should look in the mirror if they're a sexual minority or gender minority and feel they're a mistake. That doesn't change church doctrine or church teachings. It just puts everybody on the same moral footing, um, and eliminates Satan's tool to create shame around sexual orientation. That if if society says you're no good and church culture's comments sometimes says you're no good, you may incorrectly conclude that your father in heaven feels the same way, which is a lie. It's a lie of Satan. Right. So That's kind of a sister concept that, you know, I sort of, since you're talking about shame, I'd throw that in there, but I want to send it back to you, Kurt.
1: Yeah. Well, and what comes to mind is, you know, when you talk about sin and shame and uh, in in my opinion, shame has a cousin named stigma that uh, (laughs) there's one thing that like. Yeah, we all struggle with sin, right? Where nobody's claiming to be perfect. And but sometimes it's it's when it's the the sin that comes with a little stigma or a lot of stigma. And unfortunately, that's sort of the 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 struggle that many LGBT individuals experience is that there's suddenly this stigma, this heavy stigma with uh, you know, with the, their feelings and what they're experiencing. And that's the tough thing to reconcile. And then that just, you know, turns up the the heat on the the shame. Is it because oh, like, yeah, I, you know, it's one thing to maybe struggle with, uh, you know, uh, struggle with, uh, w- you know, watching TV on Sunday or whatever it is. Right. These these little things that sometimes get, get put out there. I get mad at my kids too much. But no, no, no. Like I struggle with looking at pornography and I'm, uh, you know, and enter identity of, you know, I'm I'm a good Latter-day Saint. And I, I nobody can know this because that stigma helps. uh helps help an individual hide that or an individual thinks I can't reconcile my LGBT LGBT identity. And so uh, that stigma and I, and means I n- really need to hide it. And so hopefully we can cut through all that and just uh, come to a place where we recognize we need, we all need Jesus Christ. And regardless of the stigmas that are attached and uh, you know, the, there's nothing, there's few messages more powerful than the, than the, the words of you matter. And And there's a, you can Google it. There's a great nonprofit organization called you matter marathon. If you Google it, you can find it. And they have uh, I I ordered these, these cards in bulk. They're about the size of a business card and they're white. And all they say is you matter on, on one side and that's it. There's nothing else. There's no promotion. There's no website. It says you matter. And I'd love taking a stack of these cards and I'll walk into uh, a, a grocery store and I'll slide one maybe in you know the Ritz cracker box or I'll at the gas pump I'll slide one in the credit card slot when I'm done or I put them in the hymnals at church because this is a universal message that everybody needs to hear and hopefully you resonate with that message of you matter and that is where the gospel begins and if the adversary convinces us that for whatever reason whatever shame whatever stigma that maybe we don't matter or we're broken a little bit too much there's no foundation for the Savior to build off of. And uh, unfortunately, many people reject him because of that, because they got this uh, this false message that they're, they're uh, not good enough. But then, at the end of the day, we all matter. We matter to Jesus Christ. We matter to our Heavenly Father. We matter to um, so many that, that love us. And hopefully that one message can carry us through and uh, lead us to hope and grace and encouragement, which uh, I pray that the individuals can find more and more in in the restored gospel.
0: Um, talk about leading saints in, in, in case any listeners aren't familiar with that. Just in this closing yeah. segment, introduce leading saints to our listeners and listeners. We'll link to the, you know, it's just leadingsaints.com or org. We'll put that in the show notes. Yes, yeah, Introduce so- leading saints.
1: Yeah, Leading Saints. So uh, Most people know us uh, as a podcast, but we're a, a nonprofit organization and uh, we strive to help Latter day Saints be better prepared to lead. And so we create content, uh, just like you create content, Richard, for the, the specific topics that you cover and, and focus on. We try and be a strong resource for. Anybody who identifies as a leader, whether you have a formal calling as a bishop, Relief Society president, or you're in a ward and you don't have a specific calling but you want to have a positive influence, we hope that uh, you'll find content there uh, that that will will help people. And it sort of started off as I was called as a young leader. I just wanted to know how I could improve as a leader. I want to know what the other guy was doing, uh, what was working in other wards or or stakes or branches, and and so um, we try and and. Uh, connect those those people with uh, success stories and to help individuals and uh, hopefully people um, will find find encouragement there especially leaders and or if maybe we've all had the leader and you know we, uh, where maybe you struggle with a leader in particular and for you to maybe set up an appointment or send a text and say hey I, it would mean a lot if you listen to these three episodes maybe they are you know, that maybe they are uh, Richard's episode because this is Richard. I mean, usually, Richard, you're speaking to uh, maybe a more general LGBT audience. Yeah. But in our interview, we were focused on talking to leaders and you did a phenomenal job presenting information of as far as how to uh, understand this perspective, your journey as a as a leader in the church. And and so uh, we talked for, about everything from how to facilitate a ward council effectively to how to mentor someone through struggles with pornography to, uh, you know, pl- creating a, a place for LGBT Latter-day Saints so that they'll uh, come worship with us, sit with us in our pews and, um, you know, hang with us cause uh, we, we definitely need everybody.
0: And, you know, I'm just deeply supportive of the work Kurt does. Um, I wish I had listened to the, some of this content before some of my leadership assignments, but, um, the hand, this doesn't replace the handbook. Kurt's not, you know, like nope. going rogue and doing something like I've got a better handbook. This, to me, listeners, is a sort of practical application of church, you know, church leader council, the handbook council. And there's something about listening to other leaders that are doing the same calling you're doing or that you've been just called to, um, and that sort of ability to bring content Um, To you and the perspective of Kurt, as well as the leaders that he interviews, to me is just so complimentary to what our senior leaders are inviting us to do and what's in the handbook. It's just a really practical application to help create Zion and help us be better leaders, better members. So um, no one's kind of doing what you're doing. And I hope you just continue to do it, Kurt, because it's still (laughs) needed. You have really good guests on talking about really important subjects.
1: Well, yeah, I I have a lot of fun. And maybe I have to wonder, why isn't everybody else doing this? But then I'm like, well, maybe I'm the only person naive enough to to step in this world and uh, talk about it. Because, you know, leadership, there's a lot of, um, like you said, that, you know, don't we have a handbook and the scriptures? Isn't that enough? Well, you know, we we have the scriptures, but people still write books about the atonement of Jesus Christ or, you know, all sorts of topics. And I think it's uh, worth exploring. these topics as well, just like we explore doctrine or social issues or whatever it be. And uh, so that's sort of where we, that's our, our sandbox that we play in. So
0: it's great. So, um, listeners, um, check out, um, Kurt's book and check out Leading Saints. Both of those will be in the show notes and, um, Kurt Frankham, thanks for your friendship, your leadership, your kindness, and all the good work you're doing in our community. And great to have you on the podcast.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Richard.
0: It's the Kurt Franken. I'm Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.